from WEZB in Chicago, I am Ira Glass, and you are listening to This American... That's not right. Hang on. Gosh, my new intern screwed up my show notes. Hang on a second. Okay, okay, here we go. I am Ben Shapiro, and this is the Bend... Those are the wrong notes. I'm going to fire this intern, I swear. I swear to God. Okay, okay. No. Oh, right, right. Okay, so I am Dr. R.T. Mullins at the University of Helsinki. If you want to, if you want to support the show, you can donate to my Patreon account or my Kofi account. Any donation amount makes my student loan provider very happy. Makes my student loan provider. Very... <sighs> okay. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmollins.com. Ready or not, here I am answering questions that I've received from some of you. Enjoy. All right. I have been receiving all sorts of interesting questions through the website over the last few months. I've missed a few messages here and there whilst I was traveling. So if I didn't get back to you right away, sorry. But also not sorry, because I have lots of people to see and lots of things to do. Not everything is about you. In fact, you're probably so vain that you think this episode is about you, don't you? Well, actually, this episode is about you, my dear listeners. I am going to reach into the mailbag and address some common questions that I get. Here's the first question. The first question is about my recent episode, Is the Classical God a Psychopath? I received a lot of positive feedback about this episode. For example, one person on Twitter said that I am an absolute joke. It means a lot to me that people are finally starting to appreciate my sense of humor, so it was really nice to see some positive feedback like this. But I also received some negative feedback, and I fully expected negative feedback. You don't write an episode with with that title and expect everyone to be happy. Well, I did get a few negative comments, so, you know, let's address those. So one comment accuses me of being a pagan open theist who prays to Zeus. So we've got two claims here that I need to address. Am I an open theist? And am I a pagan? Let me start with the accusation of open theism. To be clear, I am not an open theist, but I could see how you might think that. I mean, to start, say you have never read any of my work, or not watched any of my videos, or not listened to any of my show. You could easily think that I am an open theist. I know that I've said on multiple occasions that I strongly lean towards Molinism, and that, you know, I am, in fact, one of the most prominent defenders of neoclassical theism today, which affirms that God knows the future. But other than that, I can easily see how you might think that I'm an open theist. After all, I have written some papers on open theism. Of course, I also have some forthcoming papers defending Calvinism, but don't let that fool you. I am not writing papers defending Calvinism in order to slowly figure out what I think by considering all of my options. No, I would never do something like that. I'm not going to do real careful scholarship. Instead, I'm clearly just an open theist who hates the Bible. So with that cleared up, let's consider the accusation that I'm a pagan who worships Zeus. I only have one thing to say to this accusation. This is absolutely ridiculous. I'm living in Finland right now. I'm not going to be praying to some Greek god like Zeus. I only worship the Norse gods. And right now, I am praying to Thor that he will convince people who make these kind of ridiculous accusations to read a book and enlighten themselves. Next question. Okay, so one of the most common questions that I've been getting over the last few years is about studying with me. For some reason, a bunch of people who are sick in the head and want to take a class with me. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why anyone would want to study with a pagan philosopher like me. But here we are. Well, if you are one of those demented people that wants to study with me, you are in luck, my friend. I have two opportunities for you to take a master's class with me. 
Hopefully soon there will be more when the William Lane Craig Center opens, but right now, two opportunities, that's not bad. That's right, after my time with Helsinki comes to an end, I will be joining the faculty at two different universities. The first is the University of Lucerne in Switzerland, and the second is Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. So let me tell you a bit about each program and what I'm going to be doing for them. So the University of Lucerne has created an online master's program in philosophy, theology, and religions. They've created an all-star cast of experts in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic philosophy and theology to contribute to this program. I'm talking people like Peter Adamson, David Anzalone, who we had on the show a while back, Richard Cross, Tyrone Goldschmidt, and so many other amazing people. You really should check out this program. It's pretty incredible. I mean, if I understand correctly, this program also involves a summer school in Sicily every other year. So that will give you an opportunity to meet the professors in person. I mean, can you imagine hanging out with Richard Cross in Sicily? I'm imagining it right now, and it sounds pretty fantastic. So for the University of Lucerne, I am going to be creating the course God, Freedom, and Evil. I'll be taking students through different models of God, different theories on the nature of freedom, and various problems related to evil and suffering. We're going to examine why God would create anything at all, and different theodicies and theories of providence. I'm currently working on designing the course and writing my lectures. I've, got a, I've had a few chats with different people who are enrolling in the program. I am really excited about this one. I think it's going to be really cool. All right, so the other place is Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. Yeah, that's right, Florida. So they have a killer master's program in philosophy of religion. And I've had my eye on them for a while. They have some excellent people teaching this program. They've got Paul Copen, they've got Paul Gould, and they've got Brandon Rickabaugh. Okay, so Paul Copen. If you don't know who Paul Copen is, you should probably be embarrassed. I mean, he has been doing great work in apologetics and Christian philosophy for many years. I've learned a great deal from his books. And then you may know Paul Gould's work on God and abstract objects. That's how I first got introduced to his stuff. But he's also doing all sorts of things on the metaphysics of creation and Christian philosophy. And then Brandon Rickabaugh, whew, goodness, this guy is a force to be reckoned with in philosophy of mind. I'm kind of tempted to see if he'll let me sit in on one of his classes so I can get caught up on the nature of consciousness. So what Palm Beach Atlantic have asked me to do is to teach the course Contemporary Issues in Philosophy. This is an intensive course where the topic can change from year to year. Basically, I can do whatever I want in this class. Within reason, of course. I'll be making my first trip down there this coming January to teach. I'm really excited to meet the students and hang out on a beach. I mean, well, I, could, like, I do have a beach right next to me here in Finland, but it's currently covered in ice. My prayers to Thor for warmer weather, they've just gone unanswered. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, for this January, I will be teaching on God, time, and creation. We are going to take a deep dive into the philosophy of time and explore the implications for systematic theology. I mean, the deeper I go in the philosophy of time, I mean, the more I see that it has this huge impact on the doctrine of God, creation, providence, human nature, and life after death. And what we're going to be doing in this class is we're going to be getting into some of the nitty-gritty details of all of that. So if you want to join me in Florida, just talk to Paul Gould, and he'll, he'll tell you everything you need to know about the program. All right, next question. Whew, goodness, okay, I got a Bible question. I'm a, th I'm a theologian. I don't read the Bible. Why are you guys asking me Bible questions? Okay, all right, anyway, so this guy is asking me to address Colossians 2, verse 8. So what does this verse say? Well, here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 
Whew, goodness. Okay. I don't know what you expect me to do with this passage. I mean, what do you want me to say? I mean, you want me to tell the Thomists they need to stop reading Aristotle? I mean, should I tell all the religious studies people they need to stop like reading Kant? Like, I mean, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. So here's what I think about this passage. Lots of different commentators will say that Paul is not talking about the entire discipline of philosophy as we know it today. Though I think it would be really interesting to hear Paul's opinions on the current state of philosophy. Anyway, what Paul seems to be talking about are specific philosophical schools of thought. You might even call them worldviews. He's not telling us to be wary of basic logic, critical reasoning, or anything like that. Nor could Paul possibly be saying that we should avoid studying different schools of thought, since Paul had training in rhetoric and even quotes Greek thinkers. And lots of different Pauline scholars, they'll point out that Paul has various lines of thought that agree, but also diverge with Stoic thinkers of his day. So it seems like Paul himself is engaged in some kind of philosophical thinking, and is critically reflecting on what he agrees and disagrees with. So as I see it, you certainly can study the discipline of philosophy and still be a Christian. If you disagree with me, you're going to need to explain your reasons for why you disagree with me. But if you do that, you'll be engaged in philosophical argumentation. Now, I also think that Paul is right to warn us about falling victim to hollow and deceptive philosophy that is based on fallible human traditions and not based on the riches of wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Every generation throughout human history has produced both good and bad philosophical ideas. I mean, far too many generations have had to suffer the terrible consequences of those ideas. When bad ideologies take over and inform public policy, there can be long-standing and long-lasting suffering as a consequence. That is precisely why we need good Christian critical thinking that can combat false ideologies. I mean, when I look at the news and see what's happening in America right now, I, I get nervous. I see so much public policy based on low-hanging moral fruit, hollow slogans, and deeply deceptive ideas. I mean, the negative consequences of this are going to be felt for many years to come. This is not a uniquely American problem, of course. There is this thing called the rest of the planet that Americans of all political persuasions seem to forget about. And every country has its own bad ideologies that need to be identified and dealt with. May we pray that God will give us minds that can reason well. Okay. Next topic, Eurovision. I've had a lot of people ask me who I want to win the next Eurovision song competition. Okay, so for those of you in the U.S., let me tell you a bit about Eurovision. This is a European song competition that has been going for decades. Each country has its own competition and selects a musical act that will represent their country. Then on one very long evening in the spring, all of the musical artists perform their song live. Each country votes on the other countries and decides how many points to give out to each musical act. The musical numbers can often be really dull. Uh, quite frankly, a lot of them are very forgettable. But then sometimes you get some really ridiculous ones as well. The voting is often very political. So, for example, after Brexit, the UK... Well, I mean, I actually, I can't remember if the UK has received any points since Brexit. Eurovision is very complicated for me. I have spent so much time in the UK that I feel like I should be rooting for the United Kingdom to win. But then my wife, she's Italian, so I feel this kind of pull to support Italy. But then I've also been living in Finland for almost two years now. Should I support Finland? Gosh, I don't know. But I can tell you this. I am not supporting Germany. I mean, Germany. Okay, let's have a conversation about Germany's utter failure this year at Eurovision. I have some sour grapes about Germany's selection this year. There's this band called Electric Callboy. They went very far in the German competition with a song called Pump It. They got cut from the last round. 
Instead, Germany went with some painfully generic song that's like a mixture of like pop and mumble rap. Germany, you had a chance at greatness, but you let it go. And I'm deeply disappointed. Okay, so check out what Germany could have had. This is so good. I mean, what were Germany? What were you thinking? I have no words. You could have had this, but instead you went with some boring mumble rap. What? What's? What's wrong with you? Ah, uh, Germany. I. I just. I don't know. I've lost all respect for you this year. And then Italy. Oh, che pale. Italy. The song you guys chose this year. It sounds like you just were trying to lose. Okay. That's enough about Eurovision. Next topic. Okay, so the next topic, anxiety about God. So this is a question I get frequently asked. When I, when I gave up classical theism, did I have any anxiety? And a lot of people have asked me about this. They've expressed their own unease. So if you go back and check out my interviews with the brilliant medieval scholar Thomas Williams, I mean, he and I chat about the same issue in that episode. He describes his own break with classical theism and the way it made him feel. He describes this feeling of kind of having to scramble and like seemingly improvise for all the answers because all the scripted answers, they're just no longer available. And I do understand that feeling. Uh, it was not exactly easy for me to give up on classical theism either. My PhD dissertation, which was called In Search of the Timeless God, well, I called it that because I thought I could find a way to salvage the doctrine of divine timelessness, but I wasn't able to. All I could find were more and more problems with the view. And that did cause some initial unease. I could no longer rely on St. Augustine as my invaluable source of knowledge about God. And I didn't like that because Augustine was my hero. And I still greatly admire Augustine, but I see him for what he truly is. Augustine is a brilliant but fallible human. It reminds me of something the Apostle Paul said about not being taken captive by human traditions. It also reminds me of something my mom and dad told me when I was a teenage Calvinist. They told me that they cannot be Calvinists because they don't want to fully support any view that has some merely human person's name in it. They only want to follow Jesus Christ. And of course, hearing my parents say that, I mean, that only made me want to be a Calvinist even more. But all that to say, yes, I do understand the anxiety of re-examining your faith. And you're not alone in that. It is a difficult process for everyone. But I can say that I have a stronger faith than I used to. Which surprised me, given the dark night of the soul that I had gone through to get there. After all, I am a reluctant theologian for many different reasons. I mean, if you are feeling anxious or lost as you're trying to figure out the nature of God, you're in good company. It's just called being human. So be gracious with yourself as you struggle to understand God. The theologian Clark Pinnock, he wrote about this in 1994. He was originally a classical theist and a Calvinist. And then he went through an Arminian phase, and then ultimately ended up as an open theist. And that might sound like a wild transition of views, but this is something that he went through over a long period of time, through a lot of careful thought and study. It wasn't some sort of overnight transition. And, and I admire that. I mean, someone really taking their time to think through all of the issues of the Christian faith, that's, that's, that's worth doing. So here is what Pinnock wrote in 1994. This is a direct quote from him. He says, we are trying to understand the God of Christian revelation better. 
I realize that reconsidering one's model of God may be a delicate issue for some readers. It may well feel as if, when a familiar way of thinking about God is questioned, God himself is lost or has become distant. But the experience of reconceptualizing can be positive. After the initial anxiety of rethinking, one will find God again in a fresh way around the next bend in the reflective road. Rather than worry about our own discomfort, perhaps we should be concerned about God's reputation. Does it not concern us that God's name is often dishonored because of poor theologies of God? How can we expect Christians to delight in God or outsiders to seek God if we portray God in biblically flawed, rationally suspect, and existentially repugnant ways? We cannot expect it. Those are powerful words from Pinnock. Though I'm not an open theist, I take what Pinnock has to say to heart. I mean, what matters more, my own discomfort or God's reputation? And I really appreciate Pinnock's testimony that the initial anxiety of rethinking your faith, well, that that can lead to finding God again around the corner. So if you're currently in the midst of anxiety, I understand. I've been there. And I pray that you find God again around the next bend in the road. Okay, final topic for today, Ukraine. Okay, let's do this. I received a lot of positive messages after I posted a picture of myself at an anti-war protest. I don't typically get very political because my politics are a hodgepodge of nonsense. But I have Russian friends here in, in Helsinki who asked me to come to the march to protest Putin's war. And several of my Russian friends, they've been deeply heartbroken over this. They have family in Ukraine who are suffering. They also have family in Russia who initially refused to believe that there is a war. And it made them feel sick to their stomach to see what Putin is doing. A lot of people here in Helsinki, I mean, they felt very emotional as well. We are on the border with Russia. Putin has made various threats to Finland. We have lots of people coming to Helsinki to flee Russia. We're starting to get some people fleeing Ukraine as well. It's, it's a tumultuous time. And I've never found myself so close to war before. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not right next door to the action. It is a 14-hour drive to get from here to the Ukraine. I mean, I did have a panic when Putin first invaded. But after an initial panic, I realized I'm actually really safe here in Helsinki. So there was nothing brave about me going to a march to protest Putin's war. This was a march with Ukrainians, Russians, Finns, and some Finno-Swedes through the city of Helsinki, right through the city center. We had police escorts. Everyone we saw, I mean, they were all very positive towards us. There was no risk to my life, no risk to my job, and no risk to my well-being for protesting Putin's war. So nothing that I did can be considered brave. The best that I can say is that I just wanted to show support to my friends who are suffering because of this. And as I marched through the streets, I had several different thoughts go through my head. First, there was a lot of chanting in Ukrainian. I don't, I don't know what they were chanting. We didn't start chanting in English until we got to the Senate building. It was one of those moments where I'm just reminded that I, I really am just a dirty immigrant in a foreign land. And there's a certain kind of discomfort that comes with that. But that also made me feel embarrassed when I started to think about the way Ukrainian refugees will feel as they flee to Poland and other places. I mean, my slight discomfort in the streets of Helsinki, that's, that's just nothing compared to their suffering. And that really hit me hard. Another thought that raced through my head was the long-term effects of Putin's war. The damage done to people's lives across Russia and Europe, it's not something that you can fix overnight. 
and the consequences of, of this are going to remain for many years to come. I have no idea how this is going to play out. So in the end, I just started to feel helpless. All I could do was march silently and pray. Pray for the people fighting in Ukraine for their own freedom. Pray for the Ukrainians who are having their lives completely upended. Pray for those in Russia who are deeply opposed to the war but are powerless to do anything. Pray for those who are just inflicted with propaganda and are unable to see the wickedness of this war. And pray for God's mercy on all of us. I, I don't know what else to do. My prayers feel fleeting and futile in the face of war. So to all of my listeners in Ukraine, I saw some of your messages. I wish I could do more. I'm praying for you. And I know that probably sounds useless, but I don't know what else to do. So I will end this episode with the Ukrainian national anthem. So this one is for you. <laughs> <laughs> 